Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the host and the senior publishing director. We got a great topic today that I know a lot of people are interested in, namely, how do we keep our kids Catholic? We've had some discussions in the past about how to draw them back to the church after they've left, but I know a lot of parents, teachers, church people, educators are wondering, well, how do we prevent them from leaving in the first place? And that's what we'll be discussing here today with Bishop Robert Barron. Bishop, good to see you. Hey, Brandon. Always good to be with you. Let me ask you something that I haven't asked in a while. Namely, what books are you reading? I know you're always in the middle of several, so tell us about them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I met this wonderful guy, Andrew Ferguson, who's a former speechwriter for George H.W. Bush. He's been a political commentator for a long time. Now out here in Santa Barbara researching a book. And we had a wonderful lunch together. And he has a great little book called Land of Lincoln. And he and I are both Lincoln people, and he knew that, so he, he gave me this book. It's kind of a look at, at our culture and how Lincoln is appropriated, and it's very wise, it's very insightful, very funny, so I'm reading that. Uh, I'm reading Ron Chernow's biography of uh, George Washington, about halfway through that. Um, oh, another one I'm reading now, we mentioned uh, last time that I was in Baltimore, right, for the dedication of, or the anniversary of the Basilica. I discovered that Archbishop Laurie of Baltimore is a huge Franklin Roosevelt buff. He has all the books on Roosevelt, and I have a great interest in Roosevelt, too. So we're going through his, his book collection, and I was saying, oh, yeah, I've read that, and I don't know this one. And I pointed to a book called uh, FDR's Funeral Train, I believe it's called. I said, boy, I, I don't know that one. And he said, I've got a second copy of it. Why don't you take that one? <laughs> so I brought it home with me, and I'm currently reading that, too. So anyway, I'm kind of on a, on a history biography kick at the moment. Well, I want to talk with you about another new book that just came out. It is written by our friend, Dr. Christian Smith. We've had the mm -hmm. pleasure of working with him over the years in several things. Uh, Christian is a sociologist. He teaches at the University of Notre Dame, Notre Dame, I should say. And uh, he has <laughs> a new book. French. Yeah, <laughs> the French pronunciation <laughs> there. Uh, he's a new book out with from Oxford University Press. It's titled Handing Down the Faith how parents pass their religion on to the next generation. The book doesn't only cover Christian parents. It's kind of a survey of all sorts of parents who want to pass their religion on to their children. And it, it takes all this data and filters it and focuses it and tries to develop a picture of what does it look like to successfully pass your faith down to the next generation. Highly recommend the book. Uh, I've spent a good deal of time in it. Today, we're going to go through some of the main points in the book, some of his main findings about how to effectively raise religiously practicing adults. Um, so let's go through some of the principles he discovered. First of all, he found in his research that effective parents believe and practice their own religion genuinely and faithfully. And he says at the very beginning, this is by far the most important factor. Um, I'm going to give a quote here and then love to hear your response. Christian says, parents exert far and away the greatest influence on their children's religious outcomes. No other institution or program comes close to shaping youth religiously as their parents do. Not religious congregations, youth groups, faith-based schools, missions, service trips, summer camps, Sunday schools, youth ministers— or anything else. It's the parents. Uh, what do you say to that? Yeah. Amen. Amen. And amen. Uh, he's backing it up with all this statistical study. I would just say it suits me intuitively. Absolutely. You know, Brandon, over the years, how many times parents have come to me, uh, either in person or online, with some version of this question, like, 
Bishop, what is the church doing to keep our young people in the church? What is the church doing to get them back? Why doesn't the church do more? <laughs> of course, they're fair questions. Of course the church should be doing things and is involved. But in light of these findings especially, I feel totally confirmed in my intuition that the answer is right in front of you, totally under your control, is the most important thing. More important than any program or any initiative on the part of the church would be your own fidelity to Catholicism. Uh, a kid that sees his parents worshiping God, going to Mass, taking religion seriously, not just talking about it, but doing it, making it part of their, their daily and weekly practice, there is nothing more important. So it's not to you know, just <laughs> hit the tennis ball back to the laity or throw the lady under the bus. It's simply to acknowledge this fact more important than anything we could possibly do as an institutional church is what you can do, parents, in your own family. I think, Brandon, it totally confirms, gosh, my own um, uh, experience growing up in this Catholic family. Um, why am I a Catholic, much less a, a priest and a bishop? Because my parents were. Because I, I saw my parents living this faith in a normal, unselfconscious way. It's just part of life. In fact, it's the most important part of life. I think I've told this story before, but when I was a little kid, we lived in Michigan at the time, so I would have been like six or seven. And um, my parents, of course, you know, were at Sunday Mass. And my father was not a real tall man, but he was big, a big broad-shouldered guy. And he'd been an athlete as a young man. And he was, you know, he was a I thought the, the toughest, strongest person in the world, you know, when I was seven years old. And to see my father unselfconsciously kneeling in the pew, obviously deep in prayer. Well, I mean, to this day, it's vividly in my mind. And when you're seven years old and you see that, you say, yeah, well, he's taking this with utter seriousness. He's the most important person in my life, and so, of course, I'll take it with utter seriousness. Um, my mother, I mean, the same way. My mother, I mean, missing Mass, if she had had smallpox and cholera, she would have crawled to Mass on Sunday. Um, I love the story. This is before I was, I was consciously aware of things. Um, but I've heard from, from family members and friends that when my parents were first married, um, they went to Mass every, every morning. The church wasn't that far from where they lived, this beautiful Queen of All Saints Basilica in Chicago. And they would go there to Mass every day. Um, my mother, I've told this story, is often during Lent, she would commit herself to, to daily Mass. Well, my point is, it was just part of the natural rhythm of their lives. And we, of course, picked that up. So, yes, 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 the most important thing is parents live your faith. Now, uh, talk to pastoral people across the country over the years. You'll hear stories like, how many parents drop the kids off at religious education on Sunday morning, and then, okay, see ya, see ya, I I'm going to go home, I'll pick you up in an hour and a half, even though Mass is going on at that time. And the idea was, no, the, you know, the, the parents should go to Mass, or maybe they bring the kids to Mass after, whatever the deal was. But these parents who would absent themselves, well, what's the kid going to learn? Sure, I'm, I'm learning things in class, but my parents aren't taking this seriously. 
that's a number one. So Christian Smith says that's the clearest finding in the whole book, that parents are the most important factor. But then it raises the question, well, okay, what are parents supposed to do then? If we take this role seriously, what are we supposed to do to keep our kids in the faith? And the rest of the book sort of fleshes out the answer to that question. Here's one of the principles he gives in response to that. Uh, He found that successful parents have an authoritative but warm parenting style. He says they avoid the two extremes of cold authoritarianism on the one hand and passive permissiveness on the other hand. I'm going to read another short quote here. He says, religious parents who most successfully raise religious children tend to exhibit an authoritative parenting style. Such parents combine two crucial traits. First, they consistently hold their children to clear and demanding expectations, standards, and boundaries in all areas of life. And second, they relate to their children with an abundance of warmth, support, and expressive care. It is not hard to see, he says, why this parenting style works best for raising religious children. The combination of clear expectations and effective warmth is powerful in developing children's formation. Amen. Right. I mean, if, if the problem, let's say, pre-counsel was more the former, now it's the latter. What I mean is pre-counsel, maybe there was too much of a stress on, you know, the, the authoritarian, you got to do it, and just the expectations and the demands, and then, you know, threats and so on if it wasn't lived up to. Okay, I get it. But then did we overcorrect? I would say yes, in my experience. My generation, the ones after mine, I think that, you know, the warmth and the love and the acceptance and no matter what and all that. And what he's putting his finger on is very wise, that it's a artful combination of the two that's the key to successful parenting. I remember, this is years ago, I'm in the parish, and uh, uh, this kid came to serve Mass. He had never served before. So I said, oh, hi, you know, what are you doing here? And then his mom came back. And I said, hey, it's good to have whatever his name was, and I haven't seen him before. And she goes, yeah, he doesn't come to the church. We decided just to kind of leave it up to him, and that when he came of age, you know, he, he joined. So what he's doing now is he's trying out different religions. <laughs> You know? And I remember I had this, I hope not scolding, but but frank conversation with her. I said, well, would you ever accept that logic when it comes to uh, learning a sport or learning a musical instrument? Would you say like, yeah, go to practice when you feel like it? Um, yeah, you know, if you think your coach has something good to say, pay attention. But otherwise, you know, just do whatever you want. Well, of course not, because what she was doing there was she was erring on the side of, of you know the warmth and love and no matter what with no uh, authoritative expectation when it came to religion. Well, why do we think religion is different than these other areas of life? Of course, you, you give clear expectations. Of course, there's a sense of, you know, consequence. If you don't live up to this expectation, there's going to be a consequence. That's not repugnant to, I love you no matter what. You know, and I think every good parent knows that. But I think we've, as usual, we've oscillated from one extreme to the other. And striking that balance is is key for parents. Would you have described your parents in that way, that they had an authoritative but warm parenting style? Yeah, precisely. And, and they wouldn't have been able to articulate it probably quite that way. Uh, and my guess is, Brandon, a lot of parents at that time knew that in their bones. They knew intuitively. I mean, my parents had expectations, absolutely. Maybe I've told this story before, even on this program, about when I joined um, uh, the Altar Boys as a, as a little kid. 
I joined. And you know how it often happens with kids? I, I went to the first maybe couple of training sessions, and then I decided, no, no, I don't think I want to do this. And I told my father I was quitting. And he said, very gently but firmly, you know, if you don't want to join something, you don't have to. But once you join, you stick with it. And I did. I did stick with it. And <laughs> now I'm a bishop. <laughs> but my point is he, he knew, of course I knew, that if I had abandoned the you know, altar service, my father would still love me. I, of course I knew that. I, I didn't live in some you know, um, uh, nightmare of, oh, unless I live up to these you know, expectations, my father will reject me. But at the same time, I knew, yeah, he's expecting this of me, and I don't want to let him down. And he, he thinks I'm, I'm making a bad judgment here. So I knew both those things from my parents very clearly, and that's, that's the fertile ground out of which very good things grow, you know. But one or the other is a problem. Another conclusion in Christian Smith's research is that parents who successfully pass on religious faith and practice to their children talk with their children about religious things as a normal part of family life during the week. Um, he mm -hmm. says it comes and goes and talk easily. It's not compartmentalized in certain slots of the week, nor is it an unusual or awkward topic. It's just part of who we are and what we talk about. He says it doesn't mean they talk about religion all the time, but it does indicate to the children that religion matters and that it's relevant enough for the rest of life that it should arise normally in ordinary discussions. Was that your experience growing up? It was indeed. And let me just preface it with a reference to one of my favorite books, uh, Brideshead Revisited. Remember the scene, so Charles Ryder, who's the kind of cool skeptic agnostic, has now been brought into this house, Brideshead, and it's full of Catholics, you know. And they're, they're chatting away one night, and, and they're talking about, about religion. And he says, you, you people seem to talk about religion a lot. And um, the younger sister, uh, Cordelia, says, well, it comes up rather naturally in the conversation, doesn't it? And he said, not in my house it doesn't. <laughs> you know? But that's what he's talking about, is the, the family at Brideshead, they, they were religious people. And so, yeah, it sort of comes up naturally in conversation, doesn't it? And, and Charles, who's the agnostic, not, not in my house, we never talk about it, there's a major difference. If you don't talk about it as an ordinary part of your life, then it's probably not going to take root in you. If you do, it will. Now, with that, I've been paying tribute to my father, now to my mother. My dad was not a um, speculative type or a theoretician, a real practical man, you know. So he had these deep religious convictions, but he wouldn't have been, you know, given to a lot of deep thought about them or raising of philosophical type questions. But my mother was. Uh, though she wasn't trained, she didn't have a, a great education, but she was a natural uh, theologian. She, she raised religious questions naturally, and she loved to sort of ponder them. And I remember many times when I'm a little kid with my mother talking about religion, about God, about Jesus, about the cross, about eternal life, about what happens to us when we die. And so that happened in my household. We talked about religion. And then the fact my parents, you know, sent all the kids to religious schools from, from grade school through graduate school. Um, so, yeah, you live in a religious environment. Uh, if you live in a baseball environment, you talk baseball a lot, right? If that's the world you're coming of age in. Um, so you live in a religious environment, it comes up rather naturally. 
So, yeah, that happened in my case. And I love the fact, so not just in catechism class. So, yeah, once a week in catechism or once a week at Mass, I, I think about God. No, on, on Tuesday at, at 11 o'clock, I'm talking about God for different reasons. I'm talking about my, the moral demand. I'm talking about the saints, you know. But that's a, that's a habitus. It's a, it's a habit. It's a practice that has to be consciously um, uh, endeavored. Christian Smith also found that parents are also more likely to succeed in passing on religion to their children if they allow their children to explore and express their own ideas and feelings along the way, although he adds this caveat, without letting discussions turn into relativistic free-for-alls. So he says, this means granting a freedom to consider doubts, complications, and alternatives without fear of condemnation, combined with parents seriously engaging their children and expressing to them their own beliefs and reasons and hopes. Parents who either slam down the hammer on anything deemed unacceptable or convey a comfort with whatever will be less yeah. successful. And Bishop, this reminds me of when we did the YouTube AMAs, how many people there, and my suspicion is many of them were probably coming from a fundamentalist Protestant background, but a lot of Catholics too, how many of them would say, none of my questions were answered, people ignored my questions, people shut mm -hmm. down my questions. That, yeah. That's like a common refrain among children, yeah. but Christian Smith is saying, let the questions come, let the doubts and concerns arise. But it's so good though, isn't it, Brandon, that I think the instinct today is to say, oh, yeah, great. Let doubts arise. Yeah, questions. And then we leave them <laughs> in a lurch. Like, oh, that's great. You got questions. Good, good for you. And you know, I got my point of view and you got your point of view. See, but that gets us nowhere. The point's not the destination. Yeah. It's the journey, right? Yeah, right. And, and everyone buys into that kind of romanticism of the journey thing. Where No, the, as Chesterton said, the mind is meant... It's open the way a mouth is open. It's meant to close down on something nourishing, finally. So that's a delicate art, to cultivate a conversation that has parameters. Uh, you're not just both, you know, hey, I don't know what the truth is. Let's, let's, let's just keep looking. You have a sense of where you want the conversation to go, but also you're respectful of the concerns and questions of your interlocutor. Um, look, at, look at, you know, even Socrates I mentioned earlier. Um, Socrates knew where he wanted to lead people. <laughs> you know, he, he had a very keen sense of what he was about, even as he respected the questions they kept raising. So that's an art, though. The, see, and it's easy to resolve it one side or the other. Shut up. This is the, the <laughs> truth. You know, I don't want to hear your stupid questions. Or, I love your questions. Keep asking, and who knows? Those are both easy, easy, but very dysfunctional. The subtle art is what he's describing there, you know. Um, you know, I think, Brandon, I mentioned William F. Buckley earlier. Buckley's son, Christopher Buckley, who became a famous novelist himself, when he was a young man, like a teenager or early 20s, kind of lost the faith. And Buckley, William F. Buckley, was an intensely Catholic guy. And uh, Christopher told the story. I, think, I want to say they went to Mexico. That stays in my mind. But they, were, they went, like, on a vacation. And William F. Buckley read him Chesterton's Orthodoxy out loud. They just sat down and he read Orthodoxy and then invited Christopher to engage it, you know. Well, there's someone who's, you know, he knows his son's having doubts and having questions. He doesn't suppress them, but yet he also knew what the truth is and he wanted to kind of guide and lead his son 
So that's, I think, what Smith is talking about there. But, you know, Brandon, I think of yourself and many others who parents of kids. I mean, you're all going to face that. Uh, your kids will go through times of doubt or maybe a teen rebellion, et cetera. And it's find that, that delicate space, artfully managed, between direction and permission. That, that's not easy. Not easy, but important. I think Christian Smith should take that narrative into account and note that 100% of parents who have read Chesterton's Orthodoxy out loud have been successful in drawing their child back to the church. <laughs> Actually, the children of the God's truth, William F. Buckley was not that successful with it because Christopher, I think, uh, ended up abandoning the faith. So to be fair, I don't think he was that successful in that strategy, but fair enough. still worth trying. <laughs> okay, let's look at a couple more here from Kristen Smith. Um, next is what he calls religious channeling. He says this is a very powerful way to keep your kids in a particular religion. He defines this at channeling, meaning subtly nudging, introducing, or steering children in the right religious directions. He says good channeling is purposeful and even strategic, but not controlling or overbearing. It creates opportunities, makes introductions, and encourages involvement but it does not coerce or bribe children into religion. But then he gets more concrete. He says, specifically, research suggests that the most important of these channeling influences is channeling your child toward a non-family adult in a religious congregation who knows the child well and can engage him in talk on serious topics beyond superficial chit-chat. He says the more that such adults are present, um, the more a church feels like a community or an extended family, which itself is a strong bonding force, parents who channel effectively know how to encourage the development of such relationships for their children. Was there anyone like that in your life growing up, other adults outside your family with whom you could talk about religion in a serious way? Yeah, I think there were. When I started doing my um, my discovery of Thomas Aquinas, and uh, at first that was a very sort of private thing, and I had no one to talk about it with. But then, yes, there were some teachers that came into my life who discovered, oh, this kid's interested in philosophy, and and then they became uh, mentors to me and, and guides, helped me to, to do the right reading and so on. Um, was it, Brandon, you or Jared, or maybe both of you, talked about this, that with their own kids, maybe it was Jared, you know, Jared Zimmer, for everyone who runs our Word on Fire Institute, um, to bring his own kids, though, to another adult to talk about, like, what it means to be a man or talk about what it means to how to treat women with respect. So it wasn't just his father telling him, but another respected male from outside the family who shared the same values. I don't know if you talked about that as well with your kids. I think that's a really wise method. Because then the kid says, okay, this is not just some idiosyncratic preoccupation of my crazy father. This is actually, there's a wider community that holds this. And this is a man that I really respect for whatever reason. I, I think this is a very intelligent, good, you know. And kids might not be able to articulate that, but they, they feel it, right? They know it. Uh, so that's a channeling that's extremely important. And then he had good teachers, because a parent might say, boy, I, I can't answer all the questions my, my child has. These are kind of complicated, but maybe there's somebody in the community, uh, maybe it's, it's the priest of my parish or that, that could answer these questions. Good, direct them that way. Maybe there's a um, youth group 
that's led by someone that's really you know top notch, and that person could give them greater guidance. That to me is really wise. Uh, it convinces the child they're part of something much bigger than their own uh, family. As important as that is, there's number one again. But okay, now I'm part of even a wider community of people who are interested in these matters, and these aren't weirdos or they're not some you know cultic figures. These are people I I know and respect. So I love that. I love that instinct. I think that was a Jared story, uh, and it makes sense. It but was, okay. one, one thing we've tried to do at our house is to make sure that these other adults that we're trying to channel our children toward are regularly in our home. You know, So we invite yeah. priests yeah. and religious brothers and religious sisters and ministers at our parish, You know, all these people over for dinner. They're playing basketball and hockey with our kids. They're hanging out. All of that, I think, it shows the power of this channeling phenomenon that it, it just yeah. becomes for our kids normal that all— you know, res- adults that we like and respect, they all take religion seriously. It's just a normal thing to them. Well, that's the interesting point you make there, Brandon. I think of my own uh, dad, you know, um, of course, Mass on Sunday was a complete non-negotiable uh, prayer, piety. But it wasn't unusual. In the culture of that time, now it's changed. I'm going back now to the 1960s. That's the way Catholic men were. You know, uh, Catholic men went to Mass on Sunday. Catholic men uh, prayed. Catholic men sent their kids to Catholic schools. You wouldn't have said, like, oh, boy, that John Barron, he, boy, he's really, that guy is really out there religious. And what I mean, I mean there, he, he was a, a deeply committed religious man, but that wasn't that unusual in the culture of that time. That's, that was what men did. You know, the fact that it's become much more unusual is a sad commentary. But right, to just draw people very naturally into this world. I mean, I assumed, and statistically correctly, that most of adult Catholics that my parents knew went to Mass on Sunday. I remember being genuinely surprised the first time many years ago I read stats such as, you know, 70% of Catholics don't go to Mass on Sunday. I remember being like, no, that, that can't be right. Not 70%. So, you know, that's the cultural shift we've been watching for a long time. But it affects this issue for sure. Because now you got to be a little more intentional, I think, when you draw people into this wider community. Um, we had priests over, too, at the house a lot. Uh, I remember having sisters over at the house. Uh, my parents had that good instinct, too. Again, we're discussing this new book by Dr. Kirsten Smith. It's titled Handing Down the Faith. He did a massive amount of research on parents who have successfully raised their child in their faith. Not just Christianity, he involves a lot of uh, Muslim and Jewish parents, parents of other religions as well, but um, these core principles are what he found in common among all of them. Let's look at one more bishop, uh, and I'm sure this one is going to have all the DREs and parish people nodding their heads with vigorous agreement. He says that parents are successful if they frame religious formation, he says things like First Communion, Confirmation, as a series of steps toward adult practice rather than requirements for religious graduation. Uh, He says you want to avoid those steps being viewed as obligations that children just need to get out of the way to appease parents. Yeah, he's right, of course, but we've been struggling for decades with this question. And and I, I faced it in different pastoral settings. I face it out here in L.A., because on the one hand, it's a way to get kids into these programs because we say, well, you have to do it to 
yet confirmation or first communion, but everyone sees the problem. Uh, one of the lines I use at confirmations when the kids wear these robes, sometimes they do, and I'll say, these are not graduation robes. These are initiation robes. This is not graduation day. Like, okay, throw a hat up in the air. I'm done with that, and I'm moving <laughs> on. I said, no, this is the first day. You're being initiated now fully into the life of the church. But how do you convince kids of that? How do we do it programmatically? Um, I agree, of course, with what he's saying. But, I, boy, the pastoral challenge, we faced it for decades now, how to do just that, th to see these as incremental steps on the way toward a fully engaged, mature uh, living of your Catholic life. It's hard. It's a, it's a real pastoral challenge. Because, see, the culture, too, is so militating against us. It's so anti-religious in many ways or, or aggressively secular that it's tough. It's tough. So that, that's a huge pastoral challenge. I want to close with this, Bishop. Uh, Christian Smith adds this caveat kind of sprinkled throughout the book, and it's one that, that we've added in the past when we were talking about how to draw people back to the church, namely that none of this is formulaic or automatic. Um, he says, nothing about this process is guaranteed. Uh, I'm quoting him here. Life is complicated, and children are finally the agents of their own development. Parents do have a major influence on their children religiously, but that influence is never complete controlling or surefire. What parents can do, really all they can do, is practice in their own lives the faith that they hope their children will embrace, build warm, authoritative relationships with their children, be mindful and intentional about steering children into relationships and activities that can help personalize religion internally, and then pray and hope that the divine forces in which they believe will lead their children into lives of truth, goodness, and beauty. Uh, say something about that, because I know there's probably lots of parents as parents listening to this, maybe a little overwhelmed and maybe feeling a little guilty that they aren't doing all these things just right. What would you say to them? Do one of them. Pick one that you think is really important that you can do. So he's summing up the book there. You know, it's summing up all these steps, and they're all important, of course. Maybe choose one and say, I'm going to really focus on that for the coming year. And I love the thing at the end, too, of, you know, it's not a throwing up your hands, but it's a, it's a surrender to God's providence that, Lord, I'm, I'm doing, I'm trying to cooperate with your grace as much as I can here. But finally, it's, um, it's up to you, you know, to keep these kids close to you. So I, I surrender to God's providence. But maybe pick one of those recommendations and really focus on it uh, for the coming year or a couple years. So I encourage everyone to pick up the book. It's by Dr. Christian Smith. It is titled Handing Down the Faith, How Parents Pass Their Religion On to the Next Generation. It's a little heady. It's a scholarly book published by Oxford University Press, but I'll include a link to that book and also a link to an article, which is much shorter, where Christian Smith sums up some of these major findings. Well, now it's time for our question from one of our listeners. Today, we have a question from a young boy. His name is Frankie. He lives in Omaha, and he's got a question here for Bishop Barron. Let's listen to Frankie. Hmm. Hello, Bishop Barron. My name is Frankie. I am 10 years old, and I live in Omaha. My question is, how do we know which religion is right, Catholicism or Protestantism? Thank you, and God bless you, and word on fire. Well, God bless you. Thank you for that. Um, here's the first observation. It's not a question of like right, wrong, right? Like this, that's completely right, that's completely wrong. Uh, because there are so many elements of truth 
within Protestantism. There are so many points of contact, right, an overlap between the two. So don't think of it as, you know, just a either or, true or false. So having said that, and knowing that, you know, Frankie, this would take us years to go through all the different points of, of uh, difference between Catholicism and Protestantism, I'll, I'll put my fingers on one thing. What Martin Luther thought was central to his Reformation, which is the idea of justification by grace uh, through faith. And the idea there in Luther was that I'm justified, I'm set right with God, I'm, I'm ready for heaven in the measure that I accept his grace in faith. And he distinguished sharply between faith and what he called works. And the Catholic Church has always said, yes, all right relationship with God must begin in faith, but that it's brought to fulfillment through our cooperation with grace. And so it's both faith and works that draw us fully into the life of Christ. That, you might say, is the major difference. Now, who's right? I'll just say this real quickly. I think the Catholic position, and I'm speaking obviously as a Catholic bishop, the Catholic position respects the richness and complexity of what we find in the Bible. I think if you look at the Bible, in the Gospels and, and the letters of Paul especially, you'll see both these elements, faith, yes indeed, but also the works of love are essential to salvation. I think Catholicism honors the complexity of the biblical witness more than Martin Luther did. So if you want one quick answer, I'd say that's why I think Catholicism is right on this central issue. Well, thanks for the great question, Frankie. A couple things here before we wrap up. Uh, I mentioned that you should get Christian Smith's great book, Handing Down the Faith. If you're looking for a book on how to draw back a loved one who's already left the church, um, I encourage you to check out our book, Return, How to Draw Your Child Back to the Church. I wrote the book, uh, Word on Fire recently published it, and for a limited time, we're selling copies for only $7. So you can get a copy at wordonfire.org return. Also, I haven't asked this in a while, but if you can, if you like this show, the Word on Fire show, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting service, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher, somewhere else. Leave a review. The more reviews that the show gets, the higher it rises in the rankings and the more people discover it. So it helps us out a lot. It only takes you a couple seconds, but please take a few seconds and leave a review for the Word on Fire show. Well, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Word on Fire show.